Welcome to the 20-Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill. And while I put 20 minutes on the timer, why don't you open your Bibles to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 3. We end a chapter 2 with a war brewing, a civil war in Israel between the house of David and the house of Saul. Saul had been the king in Israel, but God had rejected him and anointed David as the new king. And now David was on the rise, but the people who had power, not because of themselves, but because of their connection to Saul, were fighting to keep that power. And so it says the war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time. David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. Sons were born to David in Hebron. The firstborn was Ammon, the son of Amminahim of Jezreel. His second was Caleb, the son of Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. The third was Absalom, the son of Maka, daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. Now, I'm going to point something out here. Two things, really, that are interesting of note. First is, um, neither uh, Amnon nor Caleb uh, figure in the story. I mean, if you've never studied the book, bef- uh, the, the Bible before or the book of 2 Samuel, then you're going to go, hey, spoiler alert, right? But if you've, if you've studied the Bible uh, before, then you might at least have, even if you've never studied for Samuel, you'd go, wait, I've never heard of these other two guys, but there's some other names in here that you're going to recognize. And, you know, even in a uh, system where there's hereditary, you know, rule and the firstborn gets to be king, God has his way. And God has his way of saying, you know, hey, I'm going to do what I want to do. And um, so, you know, just because his son was born here, they start keeping records because David's the king now. So you got to really know about the family line of the king when you're in a hereditary monarchy. At the same time, uh, some of these folks, you know, they don't go on to do many things. Now, you might also notice that David's got a third wife. Before, he's had two wives, Ahoinam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal. And he had a, a, a wife previously, uh, Michael, the, son, uh, the daughter of Saul, um, but she was taken from him after he fled Saul for his, you know, Saul was trying to kill him. Um, so, you know, it's debatable there whether that was, a, you know, not his fault sort of thing or whether he should have remarried or not. He definitely shouldn't have taken the second wife, uh, certainly not the third. You weren't supposed to do that. Uh, it actually specifically said in the law that the kings weren't supposed to amass for themselves wives or chariots. Uh, that was standard practice. If you were going to be the king, you needed to amass for yourself wives and chariots. And you can start to see his third wife is the daughter of the king of Gesher. She's not even you know, from the people of Israel. She, it's political. I'll take the daughter of this king so he won't attack me. I'm married to his daughter. And God said, don't do that. Don't live like the world. Don't operate like the world. And yet, man, there's so many today, that's what they want to do. And you might think, oh, you know, that's right. That, those compromising uh, Christians over there, man, I'll tell you, there's some Christians over there that don't get labeled as compromising, but they act exactly like the world does. I'm not going to get in trouble. I'm going to move on. Now, Absalom, you might have heard of. He's going to factor in later in the story. Um, let's just say, remember that name. The fourth was 
Adonijah, the son of Haggith. Oh, he's got a fourth wife. The fifth was Sheptaniah, the son of Abitith. Really? A f- wow. We're on, we're on the fifth wives now. The sixth with, was Ithream, son of David's wife, Eglah. Man, David, you're on six wives now. These were born to David in Hebron. <laughs> These were the, just the ones born there. Oh, there's going to be more. This is a, just an issue in his life. Uh, he starts here. Um, he starts here in a process um, of, of marrying, and, and seemingly he's marrying for political reasons, and in taking wives as sort of you know these interconnected treaty systems, and doing things the way everybody else did. Famously, his son Solomon, who would succeed him as king, married hundreds and hundreds of women in addition to women that weren't his wife, concubines and mistresses. And I don't believe in generational curses. I do believe in generational sin. I believe that the sins of the fathers and the mothers can be passed down, that we, when we come to faith in Jesus, when we surrender our lives to God, that we have to process through as the Holy Spirit of God is working in us, we have to process through what has been handed down, the generational sins that we have inherited that we have to process through. We might think this is no big deal. We might think this is fine. We, we might have been raised with this sin. We might have been raised with this hate. We might have been raised with this selfishness. We might have been raised with this pride. We might have been raised but it's not the way that God would have us be. And David is certainly setting up a bad precedent for himself, for his family, and for the nation. During the war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner had been strengthening his own position in the house of Saul. Now, you might remember Abner was one of the captains who fought uh, last week's episode as, as the house of David and the house of Saul were fighting each other. And Saul had a concubine named Rizpah, the daughter of Ea, and Ishbosheth said to ask Abner, why did you sleep with my father's concubine? And Abner was very angry because of what Ishbosheth <coughs> had said. So he answered, Am I a dog's head on Judah's side? This very day I am loyal to the house of your father Saul and to his family and friends. I haven't handed you over to David. Yet now you accuse me of an offense involving this woman. May God deal with Abner, be it ever so severely, if I not, do not do for David what the Lord promised him on an oath, and transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and establish David's throne over Israel and Judah from Dan to Beersheba. Ishbosheth did not dare say another word to Abner because he was afraid of him. So here you find where the real power was, that Ishbosheth was only in power because other people had put him up. He's the son of Saul, but he's only in power because other people had said, we're going to get behind him as our figurehead, but the real power is going to be behind the throne. And Abner was certainly bent on being the real power behind the throne. Now, <clears throat> I'm not going to get too deep in the weeds on both uh, mon- monarchy and the politics of monarchy and too deep in the weeds on uh, ancient sexual norms, but... I think it's not too hard to understand that if you are sleeping with one of the king's concubines, uh, that is clearly designed both to elevate yourself and maybe to uh, denigrate the former king and his family. And so 
Ishbosheth is calling him out on it, but he doesn't have the power, the authority, or the place or the standing uh, to do anything about it. Because then, when Abner gets all offended at him, Ishbosheth can't say anything. Like if Ishbosheth had actual power, he could have had Abner t- arrested right then and there, but he doesn't. So. Verse 12, Abner sent messengers on his behalf to David to say, Whose land is this? Make an agreement with me, and I will help you bring all Israel over to you. Good, said David. I will make an agreement with you, but I demand one thing of you. Do not come into my presence unless you bring Michael, daughter of Saul, when you come to see me. So what David is doing is he's saying, hey, a couple things. Don't come to me unless you bring my wife back. Because... Maybe David actually liked her. You know, there was, there was genuine affection. Uh, let's be honest. Let's not, I, I think sometimes David, I know David's a man after God's own heart. I know David is, um, is, is spoken of incredibly well in the scripture. And so I don't mean to denigrate him. At the same time, I think he gets lionized in Protestant evangelical teaching at times he gets lionized unduly. Maybe David wants Michael back because he really cared about her, you know, first wife, something like that. But there's politics involved. It was, it was a, an affront publicly to him that you took her away from me. She's had a life. She was married off to another guy. They've built a life. Maybe they have kids. We don't know. And now she's ripped to be ripped from that life and brought back into David's world without any thought about her. There's no consideration for her. I think we have to be careful about lionizing people needlessly. Only Jesus deserves that kind of praise because he's the only one who's perfect. But he's also testing Abner's power. Okay, Abner, you say you can do this. Let's see how powerful you are. Because if you can get this done, that's going to show me that you were the real force behind the house of Saul. Otherwise, you're just talking. And the real power is somewhere else. So it's wisdom on David's part to test Abner, even though I think it's really horrible the way he's doing it. So, uh, verse 14, David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, son of Saul, demanding... Give me my wife, Michael, who I betrothed to myself for the price of 100 Philistine foreskins. So David's playing both sides. He's being smart here because he doesn't know what's going on. He's getting messengers, but he also is being smart. He's not sure if he's being played. So he sends messages both ways. Ishbosheth gave orders and had her taken away from her husband, uh, Patiel, son of Laish. And her husband, however, went with her, weeping behind her all the way from Barim. And then Abner said to him, go back home. So he went back. Now, you might think, oh, why'd you give up so easily? We're not told how Abner said it. Did he just say it, or did he say it with a sword or a spear in his hand? Um, uh, th- there was definite uh, fear there. Now, Ishbosheth might have thought he was the one giving the order, but Abner seems to be there and present, making it happen. So Abner confirmed with the elders of Israel and said, For some time you have wanted to make David your king. Now do it. The Lord promised David, By my servant David I will rescue my people from the hand of the Philistines and the hand of all their enemies. So Abner also spoke to the Benjaminites in person. That was the tribe of Saul. So he is going to Saul's people and saying, Hey, look, guys, we know that God 
chose David over Saul. And we know that you guys liked having the king be from your tribe, and now it's going to be from Judah, but it's time to switch. So Abner's doing all of these things behind the scenes. He went to Hebron to tell David everything that Israel and the whole tribe of Benjamin wanted to do. And when Abner, who had 20 men with him, came to David at Hebron, David prepared a feast for him and his men. Then Abner said to David, let me go at once and assemble all Israel for my lord the king so that, he may make, that they may make a covenant with you and that you may rule over them all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away and he went in peace. Just then David's men and Joab returned from a raid and brought them a great deal of plunder. But Abner was no longer with David in Hebron because David had sent him away and he had gone in peace. And when Joab and the soldiers... Uh, with him arrived, he was told that Abner, son of Ner, had come to the king and that the king had sent him away and he had gone in peace. So Joab went to the king and said, what have you done? Look, Abner came to you. Why did you let him go? Now he is gone. You know that Abner, son of Ner, he came to deceive you and observe your movements and find out everything that you are doing. And Job left David and sent messengers after Abner and they brought him back from the cistern at Sirah. But David did not know it. And when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the inner chamber to speak to him privately. And there, to avenge the blood of his brother Ashael, Joab stabbed him in the stomach, and he died. And later, when David heard about this and said, I and my kingdom are forever innocent before the Lord concerning the blood of Abner, son of Ner, may his blood fall on the head of Joab and on his whole family, and may Joab's family never be without somebody who has a running sore or leprosy or who leans on a crutch or who falls by the sword or who lacks food. Joab and his brother Abishai murdered Abner because he had killed their brother Ashael in the battle at Gibbon. Then David said to Joab and all the people with him, Tear your clothes and put on sackcloth and walk in mourning in front of Abner. And then King David himself walked behind the bier, and they buried Abner at Hebron. The king wept aloud at Abner's tomb, and the people also wept. And the king sang this lament for Abner. Should Abner have died as the lawless die? Your hands were not bound, your feet were not fettered. You fell as one falls before the wicked. And all the people wept over him. And they all came and urged David to eat something. While it was still day, but David take an oath, saying, May God deal with me ever so severely, if I taste bread or anything else before the sun sets. And all the people took note and were pleased. Indeed, everything that the king did pleased them. So on that day, all the people there and all Israel knew that the king had no part in murdering Abner, son of Ner. So David is proving his innocence, but he's not proving it just by like, going and kind of like, oh, I'm very sad. Oh, it's very sad. Like, there was a genuineness that he wasn't faking. And how do you, how do you show that you're genuine versus how do you, you know, kind of like put on a show? I think time has something to do with it. It wasn't just a quick then and done. It was that he devoted time. I think that was the big selling point to the people. And, and, and that there's no doubt about it that he put time, he put effort into it. The king wrote a, a lament song that there was time, there was effort. You know, people talk about like, how long does it take for somebody to be restored? How long does it take for somebody who, who's maybe lost some trust to rebuild that trust? I don't know. Situation by situation, I guess. But I know that it takes time and it takes effort and it, it doesn't happen quickly. And, and, Ab, and Joab had really made things hard for David. David was like, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set this up. 
Uh, Abner's doing some good things. And then Joab's making it hard for him. Here's the guy who's been working all this stuff behind the scenes and he's gone. And now it looks like David had him assassinated. And so David has to prove to the people that he had nothing to do with it. And he does so not by making a big show, but he does so authentically. Now, there are people out there who believe that the church hates everybody. There are people out there who believe that Christianity is nothing but bigots and hateful. And part of me totally gets it. Part of me says, yep, totally understand what you're saying. And another part of me is like, oh, that again. Uh, we started watching that show Wednesday. It's on Netflix, super popular apparently. And, and they made Christians the bad guys in the show. And I'm like, oh, it's lazy writing. I, I love the Adams Family, like from when I was a kid, the old, TV, the old black and white TV show from the 60s, the, the, the movies from the 90s. I love that, the characters. So, 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 you know, when the show came on Netflix, I was like, oh, I'll watch that show. And then, then I realized they're making Christians the bad guys. Or, you know, it's not really Christians, but like caricatures of Christians. They're the bad guys. And I'm like, oh, it's just such lazy writing. Nevertheless, there are people who genuinely believe this because of genuine real experiences they've had. How do we show people the love of God who have been involved in a toxic church or had experiences with somebody who claimed to be a Christian but was somebody who was full of bitterness and hate or sin themselves, hypocrites? How do you... Time, effort, authenticity. Those are the only things I know how. The, the long game is the only thing I know it's the only thing I know. And, and I, I really genuinely believe that, that, that David won the people over because he genuinely mourned the death of Abner. Genuinely did. The king said to his men, do you not realize that a commander and a great man had fallen in Israel this day? And today, though I am anointed king, I am weak, and these sons of Zeruiah are too strong for me. May the Lord repay the evildoer according to his evil deeds. So what he's saying to his people is, hey, uh, you know, Joab did not do many favors here. I'm the king now, but I've got these things I got to deal with, these sons of Zeruiah who are going to cause me trouble. They're strong. Ab Abner could have helped me with them, but because they had this beef with him, and it wasn't even his fault that, that, uh, that his brother died. I mean, it's like if you were to like look at it, Abner was not to blame for the death of their brother. But, but they're so bent on their bitterness and their vengeance. And now you've made it tougher for me, guys. Ah. So when Ishbosheth, son of Saul, heard that Abner had died, chapter 4, verse 1, in Hebron, he lost courage and all Israel became alarmed. And now Saul's son had two men who were leading uh, raiding bands. One was named Benah, the other named Rechab. And they were sons of Rimmon, the Beerothite, from the tribe of Benjamin. Beeroth is considered part of Benjamin because the people of Beeroth fled to Gittim and have resided there as foreigners to this day. So the, that's the, the writer here explaining that um, Beeroth is this town outside of Israel, but it's considered part of the tribe of Benjamin uh, because they fled there at some point, and so they're like an enclave of Israel. Uh, Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came to Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and came, became disabled, and his name was Mephibosheth. Now, remember that. He's going to come back into the story. 
Now Rechbah and Benah, sons of Rimmon, the Berethite, set out for the house of Ishbosheth, and they arrived there in the heat of the day while he was taking a noonday rest. They went into the inner part of the house as if to get some wheat, and they stabbed him in the stomach. Then Rechbah and his brother Benan slipped away. When they had gone into the house while he was lying on the bed in his bedroom, they stabbed him and killed him, and they cut off his head. Taking it with him, they traveled all night by way of the Arab, uh, the Arabah, excuse me. So they're taking the desert road. And they went to the they brought the head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron and said to the king, This is the head of Ishbosheth, son of Saul, your enemy, who tried to kill you. This day the Lord has avenged my lord the king against Saul and his offspring. David answered Rechbah and his brother Benah, the sons of Rimmon the Berethite, As surely as the Lord lives, who has delivered me out of every trouble, when someone told me Saul is dead, as though he thought he was bringing good news, I seized him and put him to death at Ziglag. That was the reward I gave him for his news. How much more, when wicked men have killed an innocent man in his own house, in his own bed, should I not now demand his blood from your hand and rid the earth of you? So David gave an order to his men, and they killed him, and they cut off their hands and feet and hung the bodies by the pool in Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and they buried it in Abner's tomb at Hebron. So what David's saying to them is, look, guys, you think this is the way I'm doing things and I'm not. And for all the things David is doing that's messed up, for all the ways that he is causing trouble, for all the ways that he is screwing up with taking multiple wives, you know what? He's saying, I'm not going to establish my kingdom through that kind of violence, through that kind of pain and misery. And he treats the body of Ishbosheth with honor. He, he, he punishes and, and avenges his murder. And he says, this isn't the way we're doing it. We're going to break from those cycles of violence and we're going to move forward in peace. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study. New episodes are released on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Video versions are available on our Facebook page. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Faith on Hill. Our website's faithonhill.com. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill. We'll see you again next time for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study.